Hello, I'm with Brandon uh, Kumar Sami today, and he's going to be talking about a lot about his uh, program and uh, public speaking and how to be effective public speaker. So I'm going to introduce you to Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Sima. It's great to be here. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you're uh, on here to speak about your program. So let, uh, let me know about what your uh, public speaking platform is all about. Yeah, for sure. Seema, happy to. So for me, it all started in college. I went to business school. I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or cricket or basketball, I wasn't one of those guys. I did presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of those students on how to communicate ideas. Not because I was that great of a coach, but because the alternative they had was a rock, so they went with me. And that's how I got really good at communication coaching. And then I started the YouTube channel Master Talk because I felt that a lot of the information that I was sharing with them wasn't really available online for free on the internet. So I started making videos on YouTube, and here we are a few years later. Yeah, I I think I checked out a couple of your videos. So that's where you give a lot of uh, free information on how to be a better speaker, right? And then you also have your own website where you have classes uh, that you offer to become a professional speaker. That's correct. So for, for some people, it's usually a very small percentage of my audience. They usually hire me privately for coaching. So they're usually CEOs or executives of companies. They are coaches who want to scale their businesses. But I would say for most people, the YouTube channels is usually the right place to go or to come to one of my free workshops that I do every two weeks. Yeah, I'll definitely link that at the end of the podcast so they can find you and your website. So what are like the key things to take away on how to be a better speaker? Yeah, for sure, Seema. You know, what I would say is communication is like trying to juggle 18 balls at the same time. Right. One of them is eye contact, one of them is smiling, one of them is body language, storytelling, and the list goes on. Whereas instead, my philosophy is juggle one ball at a time. So now the next piece becomes, what are the three easiest balls that we can juggle on a daily basis to make us better as communicators? So let me go through each one individually. Sure. So the first one is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like smoke, like trophy case like a master and create random presentations out of thin air. And what this does is it helps you think quickly on your feet, because if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. And that's exercise number one for five minutes a day. Ah. So what do you do when you get nervous about public speaking? Right. Uh, do you mean with the exercise or just in general? Well, in general, but what do you mean by like exercise? If you like do a word, let's just say, um, potatoes. So what does that mean then? For sure, Seema. So when somebody gives me the word potato, let me just invent something right now. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, Seema did not give me the word potato prior to this conversation. So it sounds something like this. It's a Sunday morning and I'm having breakfast with my family. And for every time I have breakfast, I always like to have a side of potatoes. And the reason is because they always fill me up with so much joy and fatty acid that I need for the day. Potatoes are a funny thing. They're versatile. You can use them for breakfast. You can use them for French fries with your burger. You can use them mashed with a steak. They're versatile. And that's why they're such an incredible vegetable. But the question for all of us becomes, are we eating too little potatoes or too much? And I think for most of us, it's too much. So we should probably bring the intake down and focus more on vegetables that are not fried. So there you go. That's it. So you're kind of like... Uh 
ad-libbing on a word to kind of tell a story. Is that it? That's correct. But the key is really just to be in movement, right? So for example, when we were kids and we would learn how to walk or ride a bike, we wouldn't go like, oh, how do I ride? How, let me study this bicycle for like 45 minutes and understand the circumference of the circle and the, the mechanism. But no, you just get on the bike, you fall, you get it back up, you fall. And then eventually you get really good at riding a bike. Communication is the same thing, but a lot of us don't perceive communication that way or practice it that way. Yeah, it's definitely an art form. Um, you don't really notice all the little things until you're actually in front of an audience and you're like, okay, because there's not only having to remember what you're actually there for, then, you know, the nervousness of just hitting and hitting the right words. And so, I mean, unless for me personally, if, if I'm comfortable around the team of people, then it's much easier to speak. But once it's like a brand new audience that you don't know and you can't see them, that's a whole new ball game. So what do you suggest for that kind of environment? Right. And that's a great point that you're bringing up, Seema. I would say it's one ball at a time. For a lot of us listening to this conversation, even that's a challenge, even with people they already know. So I would start there. And what's nice about the random word is it builds up the confidence over time, especially if you do it enough times. So a lot of people, you know, when they do it a hundred times, they go, oh, this is pretty easy. And then they start to expand their thinking around communication. What else is possible to make communication skills? And they move on to the next ball, the next ball, the next ball. But the key really is to keep stacking balls on top of each other. So that's the first one. The next one then becomes an exercise I teach called question drills. So question drills are super simple, Simo. All you have to do, pick a random word, like, uh, I mean, not a random word, excuse me, that's a random word exercise. But let's say we take questions again. We get asked questions all the time in our life. We're in a conversation like this, at work, at school, from our family. But a lot of us are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive to those questions. So instead of waiting for the question to appear and just going, oh, this is how I should do it. Instead, we want to spend five minutes a day just writing down one question that we think the world will ask us and writing down the answer. And if we do that once a day for five minutes for a year, we'll have answered 365 questions about our businesses, about our expertise, about what we want to share with the world, and we'll be bulletproof. Wow, that'll take a whole year. <laughs> um, well, that's a good idea to write down potentially what your customers will be interested in. Um, so what else is your next, like if you were coaching, you said you were coaching uh, business executives and so on, what would be the, like the next step after that? Yeah, for sure. And one thing I'll add is it doesn't have to take a year. That's just the easiest way to do the exercise, right? Five minutes a day. I don't actually do this myself. I, I do it a lot more intensive level. I lock myself in a room with the worst people in my network for five hours and they ask me 600 questions in five hours. Yeah. So that's that's how you do it really quickly and you'll get the result in a day. But that's too much to ask for, for somebody who's getting started. Yeah. So even if you just do it for a week or two, you'll have answered 10, 15 questions about your industry right. and that will already put you ahead. So it doesn't have to be for a year. It's really just about you work at the pace that works for you. Right. Sort of brainstorming every possible angle. Well, it would be nice if you had an audience, you can get that feedback right away, you know, uh, especially with online social media and stuff. When you post something, if they're very active and re responsive, then you can at least get, you know, what they're thinking. Um, so a lot of the coaching, like, 
you know, what you do, what do you get out of it in the end? Like as how do you graduate from your program? Right. Sure. Seema. So how are, so our programs is mostly probably for like 2% of the audience listening, but I'm happy to talk about it. So what that is, it's mostly for people who, when they invest in communication, they make more money than what they spend on it, which isn't for most people. So I'll give you an example, like a senior level executive wants to get their next promotion, a CEO who wants to grow their business, somebody who wants to be a really successful podcast host and wants to level up their game. Those people generally reach out into their pockets and invest. And for those people, we cover three specific areas of comms. So let's say we take the random word exercise. So let's say on a podcast, I'll say, you know, do it two, three times a day. It takes three minutes, really helps build momentum. But in the program, it's do the exercise a hundred times in two weeks or you're fired. Right. So it's a very different uh, level of intensity so that the executives get results really, really quickly. So the first result is really in terms of the dealing with uncertainty. So if they're doing the random word exercise at a very, very quick pace, when they go back into the boardroom, well, it's like it's always the same thing all the time. Well, like, what's the meeting update? Eventually, those things don't scare you anymore because you do the harder thing outside of the boardroom. Same thing with question drills. You know, question drills I might send a podcast, you know, do it two, three times a day. By the way, if you do that, You'll be ahead of most people because most people have never heard of this exercise. But of course, you know, in a coaching program, because you're paying for speed, those people have to do the question drills like a few hundred times too, so that they're bulletproof in like four weeks. So what about like uh, average people that have public speaking engagements for something at school or at work or wherever? Um, What do you recommend for them? Right. So I would still recommend the same exercises. It's just the intensity will be different, Seema. And then I'll add another tip on that. So for example, the question drill, I encourage people to do that once a day. It's super easy, right? Once a day, five minutes, random word exercise, you know, a few times a day, super simple. You know, for those of you who are listening who have kids, you can do sort of children too. It's super fun. And it also helps them get better at communication because they don't spend that much time thinking about it. They just do the exercise, right. which is great. And then the other piece that I recommend is video messages, right? Just send a few video messages to people that you love, people that you appreciate in your life. And it really means a lot to them. So I would start with those three. In terms of what you asked though, Seema, around college presentations, work-related, the strategy I teach above those three exercises it's called the puzzle method. So communication is like a jigsaw puzzle. You know those uh, toy puzzles you used to do as kids, Seema? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? So a lot of those puzzles, we generally start with the edges first. And the reason is because they're easier to find in the box. And they're easier to put together. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. So now the question is, why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with communication? And the answer <laughs> is everything. Because in communication... Unfortunately, we do the opposite. We start with the middle first. We shove a bunch of content in our presentation. We get to our presentation. We ramble throughout the whole thing. But we get to the last slide, and it sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so thanks. Not the right approach. So instead, what you want to do is practice communication like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first. Do your introduction 20 times, 30 times. 20, 30 times seems like a big number, Sia. It's not really a big mm-hmm. number because your intro is like 60, 90 seconds. Same thing with the close. What's a great movie with the terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie, right? So same thing with the close, then tackle the middle. If you do that, you'll improve your efficiency really quickly. So you basically have to rehearse a lot of your opening and your closing and then kind of fill in the middle. Is that right. It? 
Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that is because it increases your momentum. So let's say we, me and you are giving a 30 minute presentation and we are, we're investing two hours of our life to practice. Here's what most people do. They practice that 30 minute presentation four times, they get tired and then they get lunch and there's not that much improvement because the presentation's too big. Whereas if you take that same two hours and you say, Hey, let me just block off the first 45 minutes to just practice my intro. You'll, you'll go like, wow, my introduction's really solid. And that will give you a lot more momentum. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the people who are listening to you will go, wow, this introduction is so amazing. Same thing with the conclusion. So it increases your momentum when you're practicing. That's actually a good idea and good advice. Um, so I'm imagining like professional like lawyers and stuff would really benefit from their trial presentation if they did their opening and closing. Um, so how much time can you spend like memory? You basically have to memorize your opening and as you practice doing that, how many times do you think it would take to do that? Or Depends should... on, go ahead. Oh no, I was just thinking how many times you should do that before you have it locked down. Yeah, it, it really depends on the speaker, Seema. One thing I'll add is you don't really have to memorize it. I think it's more about increasing your confidence with it. So, of course, when you're getting started, it's going to take a little bit more time if you have no practice, if you've never applied puzzle before. So it might take 30, 50 times, so like upwards of an hour to do this correctly. But as you become more proficient with the strategy, probably 10, 15 times. Think of it like a podcast. I used to prepare all the time for podcasts, but now there isn't really a question that I that I, that I I wouldn't know the answer to because you've just been on so many, right? There's like so yeah. many questions. And no one's asked me my favorite color is anymore, like, or ever, because it That's doesn't funny, matter. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> so there so you like, go. Because if you had a random question, that's what I was thinking about. Uh, so as a podcaster, what, what do you think I should be doing uh, differently? Right. So there's two parts to that question. One side is podcast guest and the other side is podcast host. So let's dive into both. Podcast guest, super simple. Implement the question drill exercise for your future interviews. So let's say you've already done an interview in the past. All you have to do is take all the questions that the host asks you, put it on a piece of paper and think about each one for 15 minutes. If I were to re-answer this question, how would I do it better? And that's how I got better at podcast guesting because I keep getting asked the same question, which is normal. I'm supposed to be, or else <laughs> like that's that's the whole point of being an expert. So, but but because I've sat myself down, I know what the not the perfect, but the better version, and it keeps getting better. That's all the one thing I would say podcast guests need to do. I would say for hosts, it's a bit more trickier. I think what a lot of hosts miss, Sima, is that the pre-show is the show, and this is by Lewis Howe. So what that means is the psychology of someone who enters your podcast before the show begins is the most important part. So I'll give you the best example. I, I, out of like, I think I've been on five or 600 episodes at this point in the last three, four years. Wow, I would I say know. the top five, yeah, I'm pretty nuts, but I would say the top five that stand out to me, all of them have one thing in common, is they had a high level of excitement before they met me. So they would send me like a, an email with a question like, how can I make this the best interview you've ever had in your life? Those those preemptively rewires the mind of the guest to go like, hey, you know, maybe I should block up some time before and after this podcast and really take it seriously. So that's that's it's that psychological piece that is missing. 
And one example of that is Lewis Howes when he interviewed Kobe Bryant. He went up to him three minutes before the interview started and he said, hey, I used to play handball too because he knew that guy did too. And he built a rapport with the guy before the show started. So I thought that was really smart. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So are you saying that uh, the host should be sending out questions and try to connect with the guests before? In in a way that's not overwhelming. So, like, for uh-huh. example, everyone, every guest is different, but I would say, like, the best guests usually, I'm not saying I'm one of them for sure, but the best guests for sure are, are definitely getting interviewed a lot. So those people are just rehashing the same trailer every single time. Yeah. So when you break that noise, it really helps you stand out because they go like, oh, okay, this podcast is really important. So I have to really focus on that. So you can just send a quick email. It could just be one question. Hey, how can I make this the best interview you've ever the had? The funny part is I used to do that at the very beginning. I had like a whole list of stuff outlined. And the first person, um, actually, I wanted him to do, he ended up not doing it. But he was a pastor in Canada that was going through a lot of turmoil and getting arrested and stuff. So I thought it'd be really good to have him <laughs> on. He's, he's become famous since then. So he agreed to do it. But when I asked him, you know, a whole list of questions, I think that scared him off for some reason. So, and then now, as I've been doing these pretty regularly now, I honestly don't even have the time to try to put things together with each guest. I'm more excited to hear your story and what you're doing and what you're working on in real time. Like, I want to learn about you guys, you know, so rather than having like scripted uh, questions and answers i'm like okay let's just go with it and see where it goes absolutely so so let me make sure i'm, I'm clarifying this Seema. so i don't mean make a list of questions because that you're right it is overwhelming for the guest i mean open-ended one question right okay. so for example let's say an interviewer comes up to me because all all the best five i would say said that to me they would just say like how can i make this the best interview you've ever had is there is there a question you've always wanted to ask been asked you've never been asked before like that type is really opens your mind or like a very specific compliment. Like when Lewis came up to Kobe and he said, Hey, I know you used to play handball. Nobody says that to Kobe because they always yeah. focus on basketball. So it changes their, cause they're thinking about the 10 other interviews they have that day. Yeah. They go, Oh, this person actually knows what they're doing. So let me just focus. So it's not really about being scripted. It's just about finding a way to break the noise or else the guest will just appear and just assume it's just another podcast that they have to do. Yeah, you're right about that. Because if you're doing so many, you're just like, you know, trying to churn it out. But I do try to connect with my guests beforehand, if it's possible to do that, because, you know, especially if it's a topic that I'm interested in. And so, but it's also spontaneity, you know, like, I want to be able to learn who they are without actually going into every part of, you know, because I feel like they'll just share their stories better. If I, you know, interact with them in real time. But I think I'll, I'll have to kind of, because I know I, I could have taken that opportunity with you to reconnect or connect before we started this. So what would you have suggested that I would have done for your particular? Yeah, absolutely, Sima. Um, I mean, there's different approaches, right? I wouldn't say I have all the answers, but I would say for me, it would have worked well. Probably like a quick email or like a message on, I don't remember which platform it was that we connected on i think it was Podmatch. yeah where you just send like a quick hey looking forward to interviewing you in a week how can i make this the best interview you've ever had nobody asked that question literally i think mm-hmm. out of like five six hundred maybe three or five people asked me that question and all five times 
the interview is exceptional. Like I was just like, wow. And that's how we grow our, you know, I tell hosts this all the time. The best way to unlock the best guests is to give the best guests the best experience because they often know all of the other, you know, people that somebody wants to interview, but they'll only open the Rolodex if they feel like this is like a top 1% show. So for example, all of the best interviews I've been on, like I've introduced all of the people that are the best people in my network to them and they just pick who they want to interview. Yeah, well, I'll have to take your advice on some of that for the future stuff. So tell me more about your uh, free um, consults in the YouTube channel. Like what kind of stuff do you go over? Yeah, for sure, Seema. So so the goal for Master Talk is really how do we live in a world where every human being has access to free educational resources on communication? That's why I started. So of course, you know, maybe one percent of that might hire me directly and pay a premium for that. But for most people, let's say somebody in Cambodia, somebody in India, somebody who can't really afford thousands of dollars to, to work with me directly, I want them to have access to free resources. That's why I openly share all these videos to like Toastmaster clubs and things like that. So that's the mission with that. So we've been doing that for three and a half years and the youtube channel has like hundreds of free videos that people can check out well that's pretty nice i like the idea that you're sharing your knowledge with the rest of the world whether they can afford to do it or not um i kind of like the same philosophy even from my website to give out the information for free you know and then if they're welcome to do more that's fine um so on your um website for the uh, the classes that you offer, uh, how long are they usually? Yeah, for sure, Sima. Happy to talk about that. So we do a free training over Zoom every two weeks. It's not really a recorded webinar. It's live. It's interactive. And I'm on the call as well. So I'm the one who's facilitating that. And the website for that, for those who are interested in registering, is rockstarcommunicator.com. So that's rockstarcommunicator.com. People can just register for our next free workshop there. Uh, let me see if I can screen share it. That's it. Can you see? Okay. So this is uh, Brandon's website for free workshops and then other uh, instruction like paid courses. So tell me a little bit about this website. Yeah, for sure. So so for us, our process always starts with coming to the free training. So I would encourage people to just attend that. And then after that free training, if you're interested in working with us privately, there's a free booking call option at the end of that call. But we only share that link with people who attend the free okay. training. So how many people are in your team? My my team at MasterTalk? Yeah. I would say around five, four okay. to five. Some Most of them aren't full-time. One of them's full-time. Two, three of them are, are part-time contractors. Most of the work that we're outsourcing right now is mostly for social media content. So I have a production team for YouTube. My business partner's full-time with me, Vamsi, and so around four or five people. Okay. Okay, so what else the like tips that you think would be helpful for all of us? Yeah, for sure, Seema. I would say that the last tip I can leave you all with is question. Super simple. How would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? A lot of us, when we think of communication, we focus on the stress, the anxiety, the I don't want to do it, it's a chore. And if we do that, we won't get better at it. Versus the things we want in life, whether it's the bigger business, the the more money, relationships, the health, we're excited about those goals, so it moves us forward. 
Same thing with communication. So I'd love for your audience to just reflect on that question because communication is so much more than just speaking on a stage and giving a corporate presentation. It's the way that we talk to our families. It's the way that we make new friends when we travel. It's the way that we order food at a restaurant and make the waiter feel really good about himself or herself. That's really what communication is about. And when we find that reason that's internal to us, it'll be much easier for us to go after our dreams. Yeah, good advice. So um, you mentioned like, you know, your your own environment, like friends and family and, and all that. So how do you uh, assess like your, how do you go speak to them and, you know, in your best communication style rather than just like naturally talking to them? Um, how would it be different than being coached to do it? Yeah, for sure, Seema. So I would say that the big one is is really learning how to listen more effectively. So we see this in a lot of relationships. We're not really focused on what matters to the other person. So I'll give you one specific thing that I coach students on is setting healthy boundaries with the people around you and being very specific. So you'll find a lot in relationships, most of the time we usually say, I want more alone time. Well, what does that actually mean? Does that mean 45 minutes in the morning? Does that mean three hours in the afternoon? Are you reading a book? Are you taking a walk outside? And when we're more specific and we don't guess what other people want, it makes it a lot easier. So for us in our family, just to give a personal example, people know not to bother me during the day because I work like 14, 16 hours a day, but that's what I want to do, right? <laughs> that's what I love to do. But then when I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation. So for four or five weeks, I just spend time with my family and I don't do any business. So everyone's different. But when we're clear about that and we set those expectations and the same thing with my mom and my sister and the people in my family, they have their own boundaries that I, of course, respect. And that's what creates healthy relationships. And me, my, my mom, my sister haven't argued in like over 10 years. I don't remember the last time it's happened. Wow. That's really the key. Well, what about conflict? How do you handle conflict and communications? Right. So, so there's different levels to that. So I would say start by learning how to handle the small things. Because if you can't over argue over the small thing, it's really hard to over argue over the big things. So I would figure out what is the smallest, easiest thing that we can argue about and have a thoughtful conversation around that. And then the other important piece is layer that with celebration. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we take healthy boundaries. And one of my, my boundary is, you know, I, I want, I would love some tea at like eight 30. I'm just making stuff up. So let's say my mom makes me a tea at eight 30. Instead of me just passing on to the next one, I go up to my mom and I say, Hey, I really appreciate you making tea for me. Thanks so much for doing that. What can I do for you? So this is called celebration and reciprocation. So when you celebrate the boundary and you reciprocate, what's one thing I can do from you? And that's the give and take relationship of life. Whereas a lot of us don't really take that nuance or that time. And that's how you win relationships. It's in the little things, not the big things over time. Yeah, you're right about that. It's always about little things adding up. Um, so do you also do anything about like written communication or is this all like coaching for verbal communication? I'm definitely a lot better at verbal than I am at written, but I would like just comparatively speaking, most people hire me for verbal, but I would say that they all intertwine kind of like a domino. When one domino falls, all the dominoes start to follow. So generally speaking, if you're better at written, you'll get better at verbal. And as you get better at verbal, you'll get better at written. So what does that mean? That means pick the one you like the most and triple down on that. Get really, really good at one of them. For me, it was verbal. And that automatically made me a better writer, not by a big margin, but by a small margin. And that's the way that we build it up over time. 
Yeah, I'm actually probably the reverse. I think I write more emotionally and better than I speak, you know, because my words get lost in my head. But when you're writing, it's all concrete. You have to think about what you're saying and take the time to write it out. So um, I think I've, it did take a lot of practice to even be a good writer. Uh, but the speaking part of it is definitely, I think everyone needs an improvement somehow, you know, and it'd be nice to have personal coaches to tell you your speech style and how you can improve, you know, because um, something that I probably haven't thought about too much because we tend to just talk, you know, but I think it is uh, probably really helpful for to be able to have at least personal training and say, you know what, this is where you're making a lot of these mistakes and this is how you should be doing it. Uh, I'm running out of time. So um, just for last few minute thoughts of what you think, uh, you know, what your services are and then what we should be thinking about. Yeah, for sure, Simon. Thanks for having me on. I, I think the tip I'll leave you with that I, that I think will help you as well is if you're really good at written and not that great at verbal, all you have to do, that's actually really simple to fix. You take the text that you wrote and you just speak it over a voice recorder. Done. And you'll just get better at speaking. If you're much better at verbal than written, then all you have to do is do the random word exercise like crazy and get really, really good at verbal. And that will give you confidence to write better. That's it. Ah, that's good. I'll have to try both of them. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, I'll share your information and links uh, at the end of the podcast and uh, hope to speak to you again for any future uh, topics that you might want to discuss with communications. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye.